Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. This is Live Mike with Lee Lonsberry. Welcome back to the program. I'm Lee Lonsberry. This is Live Mike, episode 31. Uh, 34 years ago today, the Space Shuttle Challenger exploded. It was January 28th, 1986. And it was the NASA Space Shuttle Orbiter undertaking a uh, mission. It was the 10th flight of the Space Shuttle Challenger. And just 73 seconds into the mission, uh, that shuttle exploded over the Pacific, uh, Atlantic Ocean off the coast of Cape Canaveral in Florida just before noon Eastern. Uh, and it was a terrible, awful thing. It happened on live television. Uh, students were watching around the country. There was a teacher on board, Krista McCullough. Uh, she, along with the rest of the crew, Judith Resnick, Ronald McNair, uh, Ellison Onizuka, Michael Smith, uh, Dick Scobie, and Gregory Jarvis, uh, they all perished that day, and they perished uh, as the world watched. Uh, I know of this event only through reading about it. Uh, I wasn't uh, quite old enough to, to remember all the events of that day, uh, but... There are many who do remember that. And one of my hobbies, as you've come to know here on this program, is uh, any chance I get to comb through the old newspapers and look through the archives and see how uh, the stories were covered way back when, I take that opportunity. And so I did that uh, today. I opened up the archives of the Deseret News, uh, and I turned to January 28th, 1986, and I saw the following headline. It reads, Salt Lake workers put all aside to find a TV and watch in horror the replays of Blast. The byline, that's uh, where it says who wrote uh, the story. Uh, the byline reads, Carrie Moore, Deseret News staff writer. I wondered this morning what Miss Moore was up to, and so I uh, got on the Google and was pleased to discover that she is the newsroom manager down at the Universe at BYU and joins us on the line now. Miss Moore, how are you? Doing well, thank you. I'm grateful to you for joining us, and I am grateful to the work you did 34 years ago today. Uh, you walked through the streets of Salt Lake City. You got the uh, reactions of folks who were seeing this, uh, watching this terrible tragedy uh, play out before their eyes. Uh, and not only uh, members of the community, but also uh, you made your way up to Utah's Capitol Hill. Uh, you reported on uh, the representative uh, Jack DeMann, who... Uh, before the entire body, uh, read an Associated Press story informing uh, the House of Representatives here at Utah, uh, here in Utah, of that terrible tragedy. And you talked to uh, about the business folks and the folks in the school district. I'm grateful to you for the work you did back then. What do you remember from that day covering this story? Uh, the overwhelming remembrance is one of shock. Um, 
not only as a journalist, but as someone watching human reaction to something so tragic. What what struck you as you encountered the folks? This was a different era. You know, we didn't have cell phones or computers. uh, And so one of the things you highlight in your article is that the electronic store over at ZCMI Center, uh, you found folks gathered uh, by the dozens with their mouths uh, agape as they watched the replays of this explosion. Exactly. And this was even in the era that predated email. You know, the only way that people were communicating about this was either listening to the radio, watching television, or calling each other on a landline telephone. And um, as people started hearing about it, and I was standing uh, across the street from the Deseret News in the ZCMI Center, uh, I watched people as they came in um, and continued to gather around the monitors just standing there in horrible disbelief, um, many of them very emotional about it. How were you uh, emotionally then? You've gone on to have a long storied career in journalism. And so there are moments like this where you have, uh, you've got competing interests. You have uh, your, the, you know, the orders given by your news director to go cover the story. And then you also have uh, what comes from within you as a human being uh, reacting to, to human tragedy. What was the, what was your personal experience? Uh, I do remember being quite emotional uh, in talking. And like you said, uh, journalists are paid to be detached in the sense that we are observers rather than participants. Um, but on days like that where you have a human tragedy of such tremendous proportions and the entire country is in a collective sense of shock and um, journalists are not immune from those kinds of feelings. We're obviously human beings as well and it's uh, interesting to process those kinds of feelings as you look back over a period of decades and realized that, at least for me, that was one in a very long series of events um, over time that have at a crossroads uh, with people who are in that grieving and public mourning process, and yet I'm the one who's supposed to be detached and observing what's happening so I can translate that for people who then need to read about it and learn about it. Um, I do remember that night after uh, the story and following what was happening on television, uh, going home and being very emotional myself. Um, your news, um, but the person who contacted me today asked if I remembered that day, and frankly, that is a day I will never forget. You, uh, since working here at the Desert News, and, and folks, we're speaking to Carrie Moore. She, in 1986, was a staff writer here at uh, the Deseret News, uh, the sister newspaper here to the radio station. We share the newsroom. I can look out the out the door of my studio right now and see folks like Dennis Romboy and Lisa Riley Rocha over there getting ready to, to put out today's paper and tomorrow's. Uh, we're speaking to Carrie Moore. She wrote for the paper uh, some 34 years ago today, and her assignment uh, was to cover the reaction by folks here in Salt Lake as they uh, witnessed the terrible tragedy of the explosion of the space shuttle Challenger. She today 
today uh, works in the newsroom of uh, the BYU publication, uh, the universe. You're a manager there. As you talk about uh, this notion to uh, the students who work on that paper, this idea that uh, someone in the news field must be detached and uh, objective as they present the news, but uh, still, you know, maintain their humanity. How do you approach that issue with students? It's become more of a discussion um, in my work with students than I ever remember having it be when I was a student here myself, Um, in part because the events and the tragedies that happen in society tend to be so much more widespread and, um, frankly, so much more graphic. Um, 9-11 obviously is the kind of the ultimate example for those of us who remember that time, but um, school shootings and things that involve mass casualties seem to be much more common than they used to be. And I believe that journalists um, now and in the future will have to be a little more personally prepared to deal with those kinds of things. Um, And obviously you can't be uh, constantly worried about having to cover something like that, but they'll have to be willing to do some processing on the back end because human beings have grief reactions in various forms and fashions, and anyone who witnesses tragedy or is exposed to it in a secondary form uh, has a trauma response. And students today will be facing that probably more often in the future than they have in the past. Carrie Moore, I'm grateful to you for joining us on the segment today. Uh, we're speaking uh, to Carrie Moore. She, in 1986, was a reporter at the Deseret News, and she uh, wrote a story covering the reaction of this city to the terrible uh, space shuttle Challenger uh, disaster. She now uh, a newsroom manager at the Universe down at Brigham Young University. Uh, Ms. Moore, I'm grateful to you for your time. Thank you so much for speaking to us. Thank you. Before I go to break, I want to read to you the names of those who are on board the Space Shuttle Challenger one last time and ask you that uh, tonight when you have some downtime, maybe you're scrolling through your emails or catching up on YouTube as you drift off to sleep, that maybe you take a moment, uh, Google each of these names, learn a a little bit about them as they lost their lives uh, in a quest to explore space and uh, move forward the the great endeavor of science here on behalf of this nation. I'm going to read their names. We're going to take a break. And afterwards, we're going to speak about tanning beds, piece of legislation. So here come the names and then the break. It was, of course, Krista McAuliffe. Alongside her, Judith Resnick, Ronald McNair, Ellison Onizuka, Michael Smith, Dick Scobie, and Gregory Jarvis. Next up, we're talking legislation at the state level here on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, 
There are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.